Hello and welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, today I'm speaking with Adam Myers. He's a detective from the village of Lake Halley, Wisconsin. Adam was involved in an officer-involved shooting in 2016, and he's been speaking on his incident and post-incident experience as well. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. Thank you for having me, Jim. So, yeah, lots going on in Wisconsin these days, but um, back in 2016, uh, probably not much happening in Lake Halley. And then, and then what happened to you in April, April 2016? Well, it was on a Friday about, uh, about 5.15 p.m., April 8th, 2016. I was working at retail theft report at the police department when I was dispatched to our Walmart to assist two chaperones with their client who was refusing to leave the store. You know, their client was a 23-year-old female. She was about 5'10 and 375 pounds, who was a resident at a behavioral health treatment center in our area. And while I was responding to their client's behavior, you know, progressively got worse. The dispatch center initially told me their client was trying to remove a knife from the packaging in the sporting goods section. And uh, while responding to Walmart, I was told by dispatch that their client had actually armed herself with a knife and was being threatening towards customers and damaging merchandise. So I entered Walmart and located her in the main aisle near the health and beauty department, damaging merchandise. And initially her back was facing towards me. And when she turned around, I realized she wasn't holding a knife, but instead she was holding a hatchet. And, uh, you know, I gave her many verbal commands to drop the hatchet and to stop walking towards me, but she didn't comply with any of those commands. And I shot twice. She fell to the floor. Um, Shortly after I discharged my weapon, one of the chaperones made a statement uh, describing their client as dangerous and even stated they were in fear for their safety because they thought if they were going to interfere that they would have been attacked. Uh, The other chaperone stated they believed their client was going to throw the hatchet at me. after the shooting, I immediately, you know, advised our dispatch center that I had discharged my weapon and requested EMS to respond to Walmart to provide medical attention. Attention. Um, EMS responded, provided uh, medical care, and transported her to the hospital. Uh, I also instructed customers who were standing near the shooting to check themselves and others standing uh, near them to make sure they were okay. You know, I wanted to make sure that my rounds didn't end up striking anyone else. And I also asked a Walmart employee to ask over their PA system if there are any nurses or doctors in the store. And and, uh, if there was, to respond to where we were. And actually, a nurse witnessed the shooting and assisted with medical attention until EMS arrived. Um, When I was able to go home that evening, the first thing I did when I walked through the front door was kneel down next to my couch and pray that she wouldn't die. You know, I, I didn't want her to die. I prayed several times before I went to bed that evening and that she wouldn't die. But the following morning, I was informed by my chief that she had passed away. Um, I want to share some information about their client so listeners have a better understanding of her behavior and history. Uh, Their client had been diagnosed with depressive disorder, borderline personality disorder, and a mild intellectual disability. So she had been hospitalized in the past at multiple mental health institutes and due to her aggressive behavior, multiple uh, 
different forms of restraints would have to be used to manage her behavior. She did have an extensive history of aggressive and violent behavior since about 2006, including hitting a police officer and threatening to harm, dismember, and even kill a judge and a district attorney and the staff at her current treatment facility. So uh, after my shooting, they did a investigation and they had found a letter um, that she wrote and it, it stated, and I quote, to whomever gets in the, my, whoever gets in my way, I want to kill someone. I don't care who it is. As long as I can kill and keep on killing, I wouldn't care. There is no doubt that I am going to kill someone. I can go to jail or prison. I don't care. Sincerely, the worst nightmare ever that you might not want to encounter. So that's just a little bit about uh, their client. Yeah, and, and that, that pretty much says it all. And that's everyone's nightmare. Uh, nothing to lose and just intent on mayhem. Um, well, I'm glad uh, you came out of it okay. And and I'm wondering in the in the uh, just prior to the to the shooting, uh, did she ever say anything to you? She did not. I made initial contact um, where I made contact with her, and she turned around and and faced me and and began walking towards me. Mm-hmm. I, I gave her verbal commands to stop and to drop the hatchet. She would not. She just con- continued to advance towards me. And that's when I shot. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of um, civilian listeners don't understand uh, that you know law enforcement officers have a pretty good read of people and even non-verbally with the advancement, clearly with a, a an edged weapon and um you know, all these other things that you might be able to articulate later in a report, but that they're just happening all at once. So you see someone with the scowl on their face, they're advancing towards you, not saying anything. And clearly you're in uniform, you're a police officer directing them with commands, and yet they they continue to advance. Not much of a, uh, alternatives uh, by way of um, getting out of probably narrow, narrow, um, Aisleways there in the store. Yeah, and it was pretty busy. It was, you know, 5:15 on a Friday at Walmart, and um, very busy. Many customers in the store. Uh, she had already been walking around the store and following customers and damaging mm-hmm. merchandise with that hatchet for about a minute before I arrived. Yeah. So it was uh, a pretty dangerous situation. True. So. In the aftermath, um, EMS arrives, start working on uh, this individual, and then supervisor comes, escorts you from the scene, talks to you there, homicide. Who who does the follow-up there in your village? Well, the Chippewa County Sheriff's Department arrived, and uh, they took over the investigation uh, with the officer-involved shooting. Uh, That day, my corporal, Dave Prokopinski, was actually working a uh, traffic grant, which was uh, good for me because it gave me some comfort. He was actually my field training officer uh, when I started in the village of Lake Halley. So he showed up um, and he escorted me out to the patrol vehicle, brought me back to the police department. Uh, the second officer that that responded and made first contact with me secured the scene and and, and began the um, making sure the scene was secure until the sheriff's office responded. Okay, so sheriff does the the follow up. Uh, any um, district attorney or 
attorney generals show up? Uh, not at that time, not that I'm aware of. Uh, the Chippewa County Sheriff's Department responded. I believe the city of Eau Claire Police Department also responded. Uh, Eau Claire is a community right next to Lake Halley, so they responded to assist. Um, but I'm really not sure about the district attorney showing up on scene that day. Mm. Did you do you feel like you were afforded your rights, that you had some support, peer support, or, or anyone else besides the formal investigation show up for you? Yes, I, I received unwavering support. It was... I'm I'm really surprised, and it was comforting to receive that kind of support. And since the shooting, um, you know, it's now four years later. Uh, any post-incident effects you recall? I've had many uh, post-incident effects. You know, I had anxiety, depression, uh, feeling overwhelmed at times. On occasion, I, I still have this, but not as much as before. Um, one of my biggest frustrations is that I have things that trigger those effects, but for the most part, I don't know what the trigger is. I, I learn as I go, and I've figured out some triggers, but I still don't understand them all. Uh, you know, one example, shortly after I returned to work, I had walked into the patrol office and ready to work a patrol shift in my uniform, ready to go, and I was greeted by one of our clerks, and she simply said hi to me, and I began crying. I have no idea why. Mm. Uh, um, my alcohol consumption increased after my shooting. Before my shooting, I collected wine and would drink wine every now and then. But after my shooting, I began consuming vodka and whiskey because, you know, it helped me get where I wanted to go quicker. And I would I would say liquor helped me cope. But in, in reality, all it did was cause me to be more uh, depressed and anxious. You know, it helped me mask my feelings and not deal with what was bothering me. An embarrassing example of consuming too much alcohol is one evening I had I'd been drinking a lot and sent my parents a text message asking them to uh, deposit $50 into my bank account. I told them I, I couldn't tell them why I needed it, but I needed it. And they lived about three and a half hours away from me at the time. Well, they deposited the money and the following morning I was reading through my text messages and realized that they had that I had sent them a message and I called right away apologizing, but they stated they understood and told me to keep the 50 bucks. My dad said, hey, why don't you order a pizza or something? Because, you know, I'm an emotional eater. I actually <laughs> I actually gained 40 to 50 pounds after my shooting. And another example is you know, I became antisocial. I would act like I was using my cell phone while walking out of my house just to get in in my car to avoid neighbors from talking to me or anybody that could have seen me and wanted to talk to me. And I'd also go to the extent of looking outside before leaving my house to make sure my neighbors were, weren't were outside. And if they were, I'd just wait for them to, to go away. Uh, two dreams I had, they weren't really bad dreams, um, but I, I'm pretty sure they were related to my shooting. The first dream I had is I was in a patrol uniform in a uh, patrol vehicle in a city. Didn't recommend, recognize the uniform, the patrol vehicle, or the city, but I, I was sent to a complaint, and I could see where I wanted to go. But no matter what route I took, I just couldn't get there. So I would double back, try a different route. I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there no matter what. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second dream was... 
I was rapidly responding into a retail store similar to Walmart, and my friends and loved ones were there. And I went up to each one of them and told them, we got to go. You got to get out of the store. You got to leave. And they wouldn't they wouldn't even recognize that I was there. They couldn't hear me. Um, mm. I don't really know much about dreams. I just have a feeling that these dreams were related to my shooting. Um, but, you know, those are some of the some of the post incident effects that I've had. I could go on and on. There's I don't think there's enough time to, to explain it all on the podcast, but. Sure. No, I, we talked before um, the podcast and we talked to, I, I was involved in a, a shooting as well. And I know exactly what you're talking about, about um, all these things and about second guessing and wondering, you know, how things could have been different and um, resisting the the initial efforts at help. But it sounds like after a bit, the, the EAP, the uh, employee assistance people got a hold of you and, and made some impact. Yeah, they did. I I just want to touch base a little bit about the support I received uh, after my shooting, because I received unwavering support from, you know, the police department, village board members, community members, and even strangers. That's I still bump into people nowadays, and they realize I was the officer that was involved in the shooting, and and it's uh, it makes me feel good that people I don't even know supported and continue to support me. Uh, shortly after my shooting, I was brought to the police department, and within an hour or so, I met with Holly Hakes from Real Living, which is the, our department's employee assistant program. And, you know, I received counseling with Holly and through the Clinic for Christian Counseling in Eau Claire. Uh, one thing that really sticks out to me is that my chief, uh, Cal Smokowitz, very quickly made a statement to the local news media, and he said, and I quote, because this really means a lot to me, especially because my boss said it, I think he believed that he had no other choice. I support him. And that meant everything to me because it was my chief almost immediately coming out saying, I support Officer Myers and what he did. And when I knew that my chief supported me, it gave me reassurance that things would be okay and that he was there for me. And, you know, over the last several years, I've overhit, overheard him telling people that, he supported me and even defended me when people didn't speak positively about my shooting. And I really, I really admire him for that. And I really respect him for that. Um, you know, other support I received is I, I attended a handful of officer involved shooting trainings where I was able to meet other police officers that experienced similar incidents and meeting them gave me a better understanding of what I was going through and made me realize that I, I wasn't alone in my experience, and I know that that helped me in my healing process. Um, and just one more thing, a lot of people ask me if I if I take any medication, and I began taking medication. I actually take venlafaxine, um, which is a prescribed medication for depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and social anxiety, and that's okay. And I know some people may judge me for that, but that's fine. You know, I, I began taking 150 milligrams a day, and now I'm down to 35 milligrams every other day. And I'm hoping to completely stop taking venlafaxine in about a year or so. But mm. for now, it helps me. And if I have to take it longer, that's fine because it it, it helps and it's working for me. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's really good that you, you got the support from the chief at your agency and your EAP and that you're 
you're doing uh, you're doing some self care. That's awesome. And so, explain a little bit about what's your motivation for for speaking about this. Well, my motivation and and uh, my overall goal when I speak about what happened to me is to help provide peer support to uh, law enforcement officers who could or have experienced the same type of event. You know, many times you get PTSD or other symptoms related to what you went through. And I strongly believe that it's vital to show other police officers that it's okay to feel emotional distress and pain and, and doing so builds resilience over time. And I'm hoping this could also help, you know, police officers cope with emotional stress and everything else we deal in our profession every day. I just basically want people to know it's okay to talk about it. You know, let's let's talk about it. Um, I know that uh, I understand, you know, law enforcement professionals, we tend to be guarded and don't skip around sharing our feelings with everyone, but it's it's okay to talk about it. You know, you don't have to climb the tallest mountain or stand on the tallest building and sing it from the rooftop. But if you can find one person that you can vent to, confide in and trust, I mean, that's that's a start. And, and you don't have to tell everybody what you're going through. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of, you know, mental health within law enforcement that I think there's still a stigma that that we just don't talk about it. And I think it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's you're very selfless to to offer your story. Um, and again, it's you know, it's only been four years and and in officer involved shootings, especially with fatalities, that's that's a really short time. And um, it's 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 good to talk about it. It's good for others to hear. I mean, the the incidents of police officers uh, drawing their guns and shooting uh, another in in the course of their duty. That's that's really still a rare occurrence these days. But recently, there's been more articles. Um, several recently in Police One uh, about. Uh, relying on standal, uh, standard operating procedure that we always go back to our training, right? And th- there's a there's a current article that talks about how in these situations, we go into this sort of automatic zone where if we paid attention to the training, we can we can rely on it like second nature. And I, and I felt that was true with me. And I'm wondering what your experience was. Did you did you feel conscious throughout the incident or did you just go into an automatic mode that that fit with your training i think part of me went through an automatic mode because of my training there's still a lot i don't remember and it's been almost five years and no matter how hard i try i still can't remember even reading witness statements even watching video it just doesn't come back to me and but the video i have watched and the witness statements i have read I did what I was trained to do, even though I don't remember doing it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of us, I think we get in our routine and our schedule and, you know, we got to go to training and we'd much rather stick to our normal. Hey, I got to work this shift and I'd rather just work my shift than to change my sleeping habits and everything else to go to training. But training is really important because mm-hmm. I believe training, you're going to respond the way you're trained. You're going to react to a situation the way the way you trained. And by watching the videos that I've seen, I see myself doing what I was trained, but I don't remember doing it. But I'm looking and I'm like, hey, that's me. 
I was trained to do that and I'm doing it, even though I don't remember it. So right. I think that's really important. That's great. Well, thanks again for sharing. Um, appreciate you taking the time to talk to our listeners. And um, any any final words of advice to our listeners? Um, nothing I can really... Uh, Nothing I can really think of right now, Jim. Just thank you for giving me this opportunity. It it really means a lot to be able to share my experience. And hopefully by doing this, I can help at least one person if if they have gone through or will go through something that I went through. That's what it's all about. Well, thanks. It's it's great. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Um, glad to hear about your experience, your story, and your recovery. And um, you're back to work. You're working well. And uh and our best to you. So to our listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, tell us what you think. Do you have a story to tell? Uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, write us at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. I've been your host, Jim Dudley. Jim Dudley.